Welcome to the Park Road Talk Back Podcast. Today's podcast is a conversation with Russ Dean, co-pastor at Park Road Baptist Church with Amy Jacks Dean. I'm Bruce Holliday, Director of Communications at Park Road, and today Russ and I will be taking a closer look at the inspiration for and the message of his recent sermon entitled, Learning Love. Hello, Russ. Good to be back with you today. How are you? I'm doing well, Bruce. It's a beautiful day in Charlotte, and uh, glad to be having this conversation with you. Indeed. Could you uh, kick this off by giving us kind of a brief overview of this particular sermon and the context and the message uh, contained sure. there? We're, we're, uh, we're working through some text from John. Um, we're calling this series in the, in the aftermath of Easter. This is the season of Easter tide, so 50 days following Easter until Pentecost. And we're calling that series Easter, What a Community Believes. Um, my friend, Dr. Jim Somerville from First Baptist uh, Richmond, um, recommended this series in my my preacher camp group. Um, and uh, there's a group of clergy that get together each year uh, to plan and and, uh, and spend some retreat time. He studied with Dr. Alan Culpepper, who is a scholar of the Gospel of John. And Dr. Culpepper talked about the community that was born around uh, the beloved disciple. And that out of that community, um, five biblical texts were, were born. The Gospel of John, the three epistles of John, and the book of Revelation. Um, and so out of that sense of community, sharing the stories of Jesus, their, their own experiences of Jesus, that, that all of that writing uh, came out of that community. And so we're working through this, this uh, thought about um, what a community believes what a community learns together um, and what we can learn from the community that grew up around the beloved disciple. Um, So the text for this sermon that I called Learning Love, that was the name of the sermon, Learning Love, um, comes from uh, the epistle, 1 John chapter 4, and, and the verses that I emphasized were, Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. So that's kind of the background for this uh, sermon about learning love. Right, and you start out, you kind of, you set the uh, set the context for it by describing yourself, uh, I believe, as a willful optimist. So we live in a world that um, it's very easy to fall into cynicism or pessimism, and uh, you you kind of push back against that. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is that allows you to be, uh, as you say, a willful optimist? One of my mentors, an old pastor, used to say, it is sin to despair. And and I, I took that on as one of my own kind of statements of faith, uh, that if I'm going to be a person of faith, um, I, I'm going to I'm going to choose an optimistic view for the future. Now, I don't mean cheery optimism, you know, oh, everything's just going to be hunky-dory all the time. No, there, there's going to be some tough times. Um, I might personally go through some tough times. The world will go through some tough times. But I'm going to choose to face the world believing that we are, you know, that uh, well often quoted statement from Martin Luther King Jr. uh, The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And I'm going to lean into that. And I just was trying to acknowledge the obvious that, you know, even even in 
there, there's some bad times um, that it's hard to be an optimist. We've had a lot of chaos around us in this country in the last year. I don't need to elaborate on that. I don't think, you know, there's a lot of things going on. And I think there are a lot of people that are pessimistic, a lot of people that are afraid. And I think as a person of faith, trusting that God is with us, I, I believe that we are moving somewhere. I believe that faith gives us purpose and direction. Um, and, and so I, I think we, in, in the toughest times, we just have to say, I am going to choose to be optimistic. Even if, even if I have a hard time seeing the evidence, I'm going to choose that. Right. And so having kind of given us that, uh, that acknowledgement of your own optimism, then you pivot to, um, well, I guess a, a troubling statement where you say, and I quote, the church is in real trouble. Um, and you, you launch into a discussion of, of kind of some of the, the, uh, the travails or challenges that the church will face. When you, when you talk about the church is in trouble, uh, can you tell us, are you referring to Park Road, uh, individual, other individual churches, Christianity in general, or, or faiths of all kind, or some combination of those different categories. Yeah, good, good question. Um, and I, I hope that I made that clear. I hope people understood. Well, I, I mean the church um, in in my manuscript that that word is always written with a capital C. So I mean the church at large, and in particular, I'm talking about the church in the United States. Um, you know, I'm I'm seeing a lot about surveys that are coming out, and and I frequently have someone in our congregation and say something about, you know, a survey, they a poll that they had seen that, you know, the uh, religious participation, church participation in the country is declining. And that's, that's undeniable. And, and uh, for the first, uh, there was a recent poll by the Gallup polling organization that for the first time since they had been asking the question in, I think, 1937, less than half of the people polled had any church affiliation, any religious affiliation, whether Jewish, Christian, Muslim, uh, whatever. Um, and so th- that, uh, the, the, that's kind of the big picture. And the specific pic- picture is uh, pandemic and, you know, the church having been sort of shut down for the last year and a half and churches having to find ways to, to, to come together and worship online. And people are worried about, are they coming back? Is the church coming back? Um, and uh, I've, I've, I've read reports of the number of churches that have closed. I know of churches in Charlotte who's, who have closed their doors will not be coming back after the pandemic. So that's the specific uh, uh, context in which I, I, I wanted to place this. The church, as we have known it, um, is is not going to be the church that we have known. It's not going to be the church that I grew up in. And so um, that, that's kind of the context the church is is in trouble and you describe the church uh, when you're talking about the troubles that are, are pending. You describe the church as its own worst enemy. What is the church doing to, that might threaten its very own viability? I mentioned this also in the last sermon. We talked about this. Um, I am I'm so afraid, Bruce, that the words that many people hear 
that are coming from religious voices um, are not words of compassion, not words of acceptance and love, not words of compassion and, and, and care um, for one another. They are harsh and they are angry um, and they are anti-Muslim and anti-immigrant. Um, uh, uh, there's a lot of harshness that's coming out of pulpits. And of course, media likes anything controversial in, in any in uh, any subject area. And so, you know, they're bound to pick up on some of what I would call the most embarrassing examples of, of Christian rhetoric out there. Um, and I, I think that as um, those voices are elevated, um, we all get a black eye. Um, I, I think it was in this sermon that I say, you know, by association, m- many people, uh, you know, People who aren't involved in the church don't have any idea that there's any difference in me and Jerry Falwell Jr. Or uh, I mentioned, you know, that the guy from the Westbrook Baptist Church who's famous for protesting military funerals and, you know, their signs, God hate gays. And, you know, there are a lot of people that that just don't know there's any difference in uh, different kinds of Christians. And so um, I, I think the church um, at large is being blamed by, by some of those voices, and we're all, we're all hurting from it. Yeah, let me follow up with a couple of questions about that point. First, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit here and okay. ask you a, a you know what I would consider a very tough question, and that would be: Do you consider uh, what you refer to as conservative Christians, perhaps people who support who claim to be Christians or are are, are acknowledge themselves as Christians who support capital punishment, are anti-gay, anti-immigrant, anti-Muslim, perhaps conflate their faith with patriotism. Are, are people who hold that kind of faith true Christians in your mind? Um, I, I'm going to give what it will sound like a, a politician's answer. You know, I, 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 <laughs> That's I, I, fair. Don't, I don't want to... I'm not going to say who is Christian and who is not. Um, I do think there are different ways to understand Christianity. And, you know, for some people simply, you know, walking the aisle and getting baptized and, you know, accepting Christ as your savior means you're Christian. That's, that's, that's enough for some people. You know, our understanding of Christianity, our understanding of Christianity has to do with a brand of, um, activity in the world and how we treat one another. And it's not just enough to have, you know, been baptized or made some confession of faith. Um, and so I, I think there are different ways that people understand what it means to be Christian. Uh, Christianity is the largest religion in the world and the the most the most diverse. Uh, there are people from the far right and the far left and all in between. So lots of different ways to understand Christian. So I'm not going to say someone is or is not a Christian. There certainly are people who understand their Christianity and what it means to be Christian and how that plays out in this culture. Um, and, and, that, and that includes how that plays out in terms of our relationship with politics. There are certainly are people whose understanding of Christianity is very, very different from my own. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not going to put myself in a place of saying who is and who is not Christian. You have a future in politics with an yeah, answer like that. So. <laughs> 
a second question to follow up on this point. Um, how does a church like Park Road, very progressive theology, very oriented towards social justice, how do how does a church like this uh, distinguish itself from some of these more extreme churches that hold some pretty harsh views, at least harsh views from from my my perspective, that if if people do in fact conflate Park Road with these other Christian organizations, uh, all of Christianity uh, kind of takes a hit and, and suffers from the from the uh, fallout of that. How how do you help Park Row distinguish itself from from those others? Um, I, I appreciate that question, and I I have just said you know that we that all Christians get conflated together you know by association we're all kind of guilty, and, and I do think that there is a sense of that, but but I can also tell you, Bruce, that people. Um, well, I, I just shared this story with you before we went on air here. Um, I was just across at the drugstore and I was in conversation with the pharmacist and she said, oh, what do you do? And when I told her, she said, oh, I hear great things about that church. Um, and that's a very common experience. It's not at all an uncommon experience for me to be out in the community. And when somebody hears me say who I am and where I'm from, they know our church. So I do think that the kinds of activity we've been involved in, our participation in um, the interfaith community, our activity in the community, uh, things that they may have heard um uh, uh, say and you know word just word just gets out there and uh, you you help us a lot Bruce with our social media and um, you know word spreads and so I do think that Park Road distinguishes itself from some other churches um, and I don't want to take that too much as a mark of pride but I mean I, I think we we are trying to be the kind of church we are trying to be and I'm glad to know um, that that word is. Uh, is is out there on the street some. Um, so um, to ask you to continue on these difficult questions, uh, how do you answer critics who listen to what you say about um, perhaps other more conservative Christian churches or believers and and uh, answer their accusation that you're just you're just the other side of a political coin that you have different views on. Uh, immigration or gay rights or um, war, what what have you, and that um, you are, in essence, not any different than they are, just a different opinion. Bruce, I would say I, I don't know how to answer that question. Um, I, I think that's probably a valid critique. I think people could make that critique um, that, you know, this is just tit for tat and there's one side and you're the other side. Um, my only answer to that is, are we being true to our understanding of the calling of Jesus? And that is to love one another and to be involved in our world and to try to change our world for the better, to teach love, to show love in all that we do. Um and um, we are not perfect. Uh, no, nobody at this church is perfect. We are. We're not perfect people. We're not a perfect church. Um, but I. But I do think the response we get from the community tells us that we are. We're shooting in the right direction. People are hearing the message, um, and I, I'm. I'm. I'm pleased with that. I, I want us to offer that uh, word in the community. Um, and you know, we are in such a such a divided time. I mean, it's easy for people to just 
put put people in camps right and left, you know, up or down, whatever, black, white, you know, it's uh, we're bifurcated in, in everything. And I'm sorry that's the case. Um, I just think we have to be uh, as diligent as we can be in being true to our calling, our understanding of the calling of Jesus for us in the world. There's a beautiful line uh, in, in the sermon that just really kind of spoke to me, and that was, um, the idea of voices that speak God's love into reality. Uh, and as I said, I think that's just a beautiful image. Can you speak a little bit about w- what that is in your mind? What, what kind of voices and, and, and how do they speak God's love into reality? That's actually the harder question, Bruce. Um, <laughs> that's a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, n- nobody's ever seen God. Nobody can prove God. Um, and I think our only proof of God, we we have to live. We have to show. We have to demonstrate that. Um, I'm actually going to deal with that again in this coming Sunday's sermon. Um, and there's a, a, a footnote from a book by Robert Wright. Um, and he says, you know, he he's kind of an agnostic, um, but in this in this footnote in his book, he says, "I think that it, it may be possible for um, for believers um, to prove divinity, to show divinity, um, but they're going to have to they're going to have to make that real." Now that's a, a bad paraphrase, but um, it it, it um, he's not convinced of God, but he's willing to be convinced. And so I think that we have to be the voice of God. We have to show mm-hmm. people what what God is, what God, what we mean when we use the word God. Um, and so I think the only proof that we have of God is how we see God in one another, or unfortunately, how we don't see God in one another. So let's make sure that as individuals and we as a church, that what we are doing is not just is not just getting into the political fray of left and right or conservative and liberal or whatever, but that in, in all that we are doing, we are being the voice of God in, in the world. Um, we, we have to prove God um, in, in the way we the way we love and treat one another. As you as you get towards the conclusion of this sermon, you uh, you state that you think the church will continue to decline, uh, but that it will not die. What what is it that you see as the future of the church or the church in America? I'm really excited about this, Bruce, and I'm I'm nervous about it. I'm anxious about it. You know, my um, my career, my livelihood is tied up with the institutional church, and um, you know, if this church were to close its doors, well, that's my job, right? Um, so I, you know, I, I have some st- some very personal stake in this, but I'm also very excited. Um, I, I think that the church in the United States, the Christian church in the United States, has benefited, if you call it benefit, has benefited from Christianity uh, being um, the the majority religion. We are a nominally Christian country. You know, there are plenty of people who think this country was founded as a Christian country. I think we were founded as a, a country uh, free for religious expression, for people to practice what they wanted to practice or no religion at all. But 
there's been enough of a of a kind of understanding of a of the of the nation as a nominally Christian nation that the church has benefited. You know, for for many years, this is changing a good bit now. But for many years, nothing was open on Sunday. Restaurants didn't open on Sunday. Businesses didn't open on Sunday. Even if you weren't Christian, your businesses didn't open on Sunday because the culture was nominally Christian. And so churches benefited by that. But they also, um, I said, you know, if the only reason you ever go to church is because there's nothing else to do on Sunday, that's not a real vote of commitment. You know, that's not a real affirmation for for what church is if you're the only game in town. Um, And so I think that the moment we're in is changing. A lot of that is changing. And as the culture becomes more secular, the church is going to have an opportunity to stand up and decide what it really believes, what's really important. And people that go to church are going to have to make a decision. Am I going to play Sunday soccer? Am I going to the NFL game? Am I going to do all the other options that I have? Or am I going to church? Am I going to raise my children in church? We're, we're going to be forced to look at that uh, question in a different way. And while I think that the church will decline as the culture continues to become secular, I think what will be left will be a stronger, um, uh, m- more vibrant church. And, and as we figure out what is really important to us, we'll get a chance to strip away some of the non-essentials um, programs and buildings and all the institutional stuff and figure out what's really important and what people um, really need uh, from from the church. Right. And then the very last line of the sermon is, some people are afraid the church will not survive this pandemic but I am an optimist. This pain may be exactly what we need to learn love together. How is it that the pandemic can help us learn love together? Well, I think that the changes that I've talked about, the secularization, the growing uh, dissatisfaction with church, um, and the, the loss of uh, some of the protection for the church, the blue laws, the Sunday uh, Sunday protections and all that stuff. That's been a long, I mean, that goes back 20 or 30 years. You know, that's been coming on us. And I think the pandemic ha- has just brought, has accelerated that. And as the church has had to close its doors for the last year, um, it, it's just accelerated that change. And as I say, there are many churches in the last year that have already closed their doors. They're, they have shut down and they're not coming back. Um, and, and so having people away from church for a year and a half um, is going to be a real call uh, to see who comes back and what it really means to us. And so um, I, I think um, the pandemic has just kind of put the put the long, slow trajectory, uh, has kind of highlighted that for us. Um, and we can either be afraid of that, we can be anxious and worry about, you know, well, it's not going to be like it was before. Well, of course, it's not going to be like it was before. And um, I, I don't want it to be like it was before. I want us to be excited about finding um, what church can be for people, and if we have to change programs, if we have to be smaller, if we have to do things differently, um, if we have to be less centralized, if we have to welcome people from, you know, Portland, Oregon on our live stream and, you know, Virginia and all this kind of stuff, 
learn to be the church in a different way. I think we can face that with a lot of optimism and a lot of excitement that this is giving us a chance to rethink church. Um, and the, the call here, back to that introduction and thinking about the church being born as a community and these testimonies, the Gospel of John, these testimonies from John be, really being the voice of a community, not just the voice of one person, um, the emphasis here was to call our church to come together. Let's be together. We're getting ready to, to, to start some conversations with some of our leaders and you know youth and children's parents. What do, what do we want the church to be when we are able to come back together? What do we really need for the church to be? Um, and so I, 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 I can get well, on some days I can get very anxious about this, um, but other days I can get very excited about thinking about a, a community like ours coming together and deciding together um, what we want to be and, and what we need to take into, into the world when all this pandemic is over. Russ, thanks for sharing your time with us today in the sermon. Uh, it's always a great conversation. I, I appreciate it, Bruce. Thank you. We invite you to share this podcast with your friends and family. They can always find it on the Park Road website under our resources tab, or you can listen and subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, or TuneIn. That's it for this week. From all of us at Park Road Baptist Church, thank you for listening today. Grace and peace to you.